All right, Howlers, let's get Howling. But first, a couple quick warnings. First warning, this podcast contains adult content. Don't be a pixie. Second warning, this podcast contains spoilers for the entire Red Rising saga. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Etsy. Email us, howlerpod at gmail.com. Visit us at www.howlerpod.com and rate and review us five stars only. If you don't give us five stars only, we will blood eagle you. (laughs) And now, Howlerpod. Are you a god? I am Darrow Andromedus of the Sunborn. You took the vessel, and you are not yet Praetor? How? I flew in through the bridge. Alone? From the abyss? With a companion. I will come to meet you and your companion, godchild. Hello, howlers. Welcome to Howlerpod, the one and only podcast for all things Red Rising, where every episode we dive deep to break down, celebrate, and discuss all aspects of the fantastic Red Rising saga by Howler number one, Pierce Brown. Ow, ow! I am your host, Ben Reinert. I am joined today, as always, by the amazing Aaron Ayers. Lolo Howlers! Aaron, it's still character study time. Who will enter the passage tonight? The passage of our in-depth scrutiny and judgment. Will they rise above the rest and be crowned a prime? Prime, 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 prime. (sighs) (laughs) Or will they fall short and be disgraced henceforth as a pixie? Pixie! Pew, pew, pew! (laughs) Who are we studying today, Aaron? Sefi the Quiet. Shh. (laughs) <laughs> and the shield of Tinos himself, Ragnar Valoris. Hergla Ragnar. I feel like we need to scream the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> At least talking bold the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> My bold is just screaming. <laughs> All right, let's load up this star shell and shoot straight into our character backgrounds hopefully we don't shit our suits when we get our hearts ripped out of our chest (laughs) uh let's start with sefi the quiet aka the queen of the valkyrie sefi is an obsidian and the daughter of Aaliyah snow sparrow and maybe probably not but possibly no definitely not but maybe volsung fa and sister to ragnar valeris she has an angular face with small eyes that are very close together. She also has RBF. Like, sorry, Sefi, but you do. That's uh, for all you <laughs> youngins. <laughs> That's resting bitch face. I believe the exact description from the Red Rising Wiki that said she had a stern look or something like oh, that. Oh, f- we forgot to say this in our thank you last week. But thank you to Red Rising Wiki where we find most of our character descriptions. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a great refresher. Uh You know, if you haven't visited Red Rising Wiki, take a spin. Just Google Red Rising W-I-K-I and you'll find it. Okay, back to Sefi. Yes, the left side of her head is shaved and she has a blue ring with runes all around it tattooed there. And then on the right side, she has a long white braid. And then she has an iron bar through her septum and another set of eyes tattooed on the back of her eyelids. Pretty, uh, pretty fucking sweet. <laughs> I'm actually thinking of get, getting my own eyes <laughs> tattooed on my eyes. Oh, nice. Would you go? Just so like brown blue, on brown. brown no, I'm brown, saying wow. like, so I always see you. <laughs> People just be like, that girl's eyeshadow is dark. <laughs> uh, she loved ragnar so much and was so upset he left or was i guess sold into slavery oh yes she took a vow of silence when her mother gave him away uh she kills her mom she starts speaking again at that time and uh definitely hasn't stopped speaking by the time dark age rolls around yeah she's got a lot to say she's got it's a been, lot to say in dark it's been age. 20 years <laughs> she's been think doing a lot of thinking you know 
<laughs> she hasn't been journaling, so it's all trapped inside. <laughs> She's a fierce warrior and the leader of the famed Valkyries. She is loyal almost to a fault, one could say, and fully devoted to fulfilling Ragnar's dream and freeing her people from bondage. So we first meet Sefi when she witnesses her brother dying and bleeding out on the snow. Pretty much the worst moment of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a low point. I'm not saying I've had a... <laughs> very challenging life but it's definitely one of the lowest points hey when your best friend dies it's a pretty low point pretty in anybody's it. life well i don't want to like diminish people who have actually had best friends <laughs> die and not fictional characters anyways i did cry every time i read it uh she's convinced by ragnar's dying wishes and by darrow to join the rising and in their cause to free all of the low colors and abolish the whole society bullshit she kills her mom after that pretty fucking cool (laughs) (laughs) that's a badass scene um she kills her Aaliyah, because uh sefi finds out that Aaliyah, her mom, has known the truth about the, quote, gods, the golds, all along and was scheming with them and being a little slaver and, you know, horrible person. With Aaliyah's death, Sefi then claims the crown of the Queen of the Valkyrie. She fights alongside Darrow in the Battle of Ilium and continues to fight with him in the Solar War, becoming a famed warrior and a howler in the process. After the iron rain on Mercury, she decides to dip. Peace. She leaves everybody because her people have suffered too many losses fighting this war for other colors. The obsidians have taken the front lines and they've been having the biggest losses uh, out of everybody. So Darrow leaves for Venus and Sefi disappears to guess what? Mars. Mm. That's where she's been. <laughs> She and the Obsidians settle in a city of Olympia at the ancestral home of the Bolognas, Eagle's Rest. After settling there, she manages to smuggle Ephraim, Pax, and Electra away from their captors, the Syndicate, and over to Mars. She holds the children as wards slash hostages <laughs> um, and offers a deal to Ephraim to train her Skoogie assassins and vows to give Volga and Lyria back in return. She reveals her plans for the obsidians to Ephraim and her dream to turn them into one self-sufficient all-tribe under her leadership. Unfortunately for her, before she's able to realize her goal, she's poisoned, set up, and betrayed by her advisor and a double agent who's actually in service of the Fear Knight, Xenophon. Volsung Fa arrives on Mars, challenges Sefi for the leadership of the All-Tribe, exploiting existing tension with the men and women in the tribe, and he swings the support of all the males into his favor. Sefi's killed by Fa in a single combat and brutally blood-eagled, yelling, Here, Gla Ragnar, with her dying breath. That takes us to Ragnar Valeris, the Shield of Tinos, a.k.a. the Prince of the Spires, a.k.a. Speaker. AKA the love of my life. AKA the one who talks in bold. AKA <laughs> the candy stealing <laughs> giant <laughs> who can read. <laughs> okay, Ragnar is a stained, the strongest and deadliest class of obsidian warriors. He is the son of Elias Snow Sparrow. And maybe, probably not, but possibly, no, definitely not, but maybe, <laughs> Volsung Fa. Stop. <laughs> saying Fa is the dad. I, <laughs> hey, we need to get on. Jerry Springer. <laughs> we need a paternity test here. <laughs> and he's also the brother to Sefi the Quiet. Ragnar is, you know, 40-ish. And he's fucking huge. Probably like eight and a half to nine feet tall and 500 plus pounds. That's like around 250 kilos for our international uh, peeps. Did you Google that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, how'd you know that? He's he's a big guy. Yeah, it's crazy, too, because he's extremely sneaky. He's huge, but he's sneaky. He's light on his feet. Yeah. Um, He's bald, except for a long white tail of hair down the middle of his back. He's got like a Cal Jogo braid going on. Who? Uh, Cal Drogo. 
Game of Thrones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, He has tattoos all over, including his face, and also has a skull tat on his hand that he shares with Darrow and Severo. And he's also kind of got like a skull tattooed on his face, right? That's what the stains have. He's just got a bunch of sick tats. Also, I don't know if I'm the only one who didn't remember or maybe realize that Darrow and Severo had skull tattoo yeah, matching they got like, Bash it's like a friendship yeah. bracelet on their hands. Yeah. I didn't know that. It's pretty cute. Um, he's athletic and agile and fast and immensely strong. He overwhelms his opponents with his ungodly speed and strength. When we first meet him, he is like every other obsidian that believes in loyalty to the gods. But that changes once he meets Darrow and we get to see his personality. He's wise, he's stoic, but also capable of being very funny, tender, and kind. He's also fiercely loyal to Darrow and to the idea of freeing his people from slavery. Ragnar spends most of his life as a slave and gladiator for the Ash Lord, which, by the way, what a great movie. <laughs> the Gladiator, I mean. Oh, I was like, what? <laughs> Did Ragnar make a movie? <laughs> Are you not entertained? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ragnar is freed by Darrow aboard the Vanguard and pledges his stains in service to him. Darrow then tells Ragnar he's a red and explains his true purpose. Ragnar decides to join him in his cause. They fall in the Iron Rain together over Mars, and Ragnar leads a group of obsidians with razors in hand, which, by the way, is like Big a deal. no no. Yep. But he's like, nah, I do what I want. <laughs> also, Valdir and uh, Wolfgar are with him. When oh, going Wolfgar down. is? Yeah, both Fuck. of them. Yeah. So uh, they go with these razors to open the gates to Aegea. He's not present at Darrow's triumph. Thank goodness. That would have been real messy for everyone involved if, if Ragnar was there, though. It would be messy for everybody, but <laughs> I fear we would have lost him sooner. Yep. So he's not there. He escapes with Severo. Nine months later, he helps rescue Darrow from the jackal. And Darrow rides on his back. (laughs) (laughs) He then helps uh, him capture Quicksilver on his first mission back. He then leads Darrow, Mustang, and Holiday to the ice on a mission to free his people once and for all. But before he's able to accomplish his dream, he is mortally wounded by Aja, the fucking bitch grimace. Sefi shows up just before the moment of his death, and he is reunited with his sister one last time. One last time. <laughs> I can't not. <laughs> he dies on the ice. It's so fucking sad. <laughs> I would know you. <laughs> <coughs> I won't say it. I'm getting choked up. He's there with his friends, his best friends with matching skull tattoos and with his sister. It's very sweet. And basically with his dying actions, Unites the Valkyrie with the Rising. So let's talk about some historical connections with the names Sefi and Ragnar provided to us by our amazing researcher, Heather. Thanks, Heather. Heather, you're the best. Um, She says, Sefi and Ragnar were a lot harder to find. I originally thought the best hope for discovering the meaning of Sefi's name would be to research in the context of Norse mythology. But then I got to thinking about all the allusions to Mongolian culture in Dark Age due to the arrival of Volsung Fa. Looking beyond Scandinavia, I found that Sefi is derived from the intersection of Arabian culture and the Egyptian and Greek languages. There are many different forms of the word, but its meaning boils down to thought, understanding, or knowledge. In fact, it appears that Sefi is an old Icelandic version of the Indo-European stem for what evolved into the Latin verb sapio. This verb has two distinct meanings, to be wise, and to taste. Heather says, I know Sefi already has the epithet, the quiet, which in the context of obsidian culture is synonymous with wise, but I still think the name Sefi, when we meet her in Morningstar, hinted to readers that Sefi understood the plight of the obsidians under the gold dominion before we learned that quiet also meant wise. Sefi literally means thought or sense, implying that despite her comprehension, she remained introspective regarding such injustice while her mother was alive, and she continued that way even after the apparent success of the rising, i.e. by not informing the all-tribe of her decaying arm and imminent death. 
Interpreting the significance of to taste is a little more elusive. Perhaps it's ironic justice and that Sefi got a taste of her own medicine by murdering her mother for lying to the Valkyrie, only to be murdered herself by her father for similarly lying in a manner that involved tasting. Oh, full circle. Heather. Heather with the research. (laughs) (laughs) The last bit of information I found about Sefi was that her name can mean love for all people. This definition aligns with Sefi's desire to unite the obsidian race, not in war, but rather behind the overarching ideals of liberty and peace and existence less riddled with violence to make room for love. That's beautiful. Love it. Okay, let's move on to Ragnar. Like Sefi, Ragnar has ties to Iceland, but he has more of a concrete history that seems to bridge the gap between reality and legend. Ragnar Lothbrok was the epic son of King Sigurd Hring. And it's spelled kind of like here. Well, not really, <laughs> but with like w- letters that don't normally go together. <laughs> Ragnar's three wives bore children who grew to greater fame than he. This could parallel Ragnar Valeris fathering thousands of offspring in vitro and hopefully alludes to Volga's ascendance in Red Rising Book 6, possibly eclipsing her deified dad. While alive in the mid-9th century CE, Ragnar Lothbrok exhibited great military prowess, conquering the coasts of France and England before trying his luck outside the agreed-upon territory where he ultimately met his death. Still, Ragnar Lothbrok began the Viking expansion that his children completed by defeating and subsequently occupying England for 200 years. England, yeah. <laughs> England could represent the society in the Red Rising universe. Ragnar Valeris couldn't defeat it alone, but he certainly broke the chains for the obsidian race and planted the seeds within his people to live for more. One other thing that I found interesting was that Ragnar's name can mean both warrior and judgment. Obviously, Ragnar Valeris is an amazing warrior, but he defies the underestimations of the society when he chooses to join Darrow in his fight for freedom rather than remain a killing machine for the la- for the Ash Lord. I am a man! Yes, his last yes <laughs> you are. <laughs> his last name, Valeris, complements that brave and o- optimistic aspect of Ragnar's personality. It comes from the Latin verb to wish or to fly demonstrating his capacity to dream of a better world and take the leap of faith required to act upon that dream. His name is thus very fitting. As always, Pierce was clearly thinking ahead. Thank you, Heather. Those are some great nuggets of information. I have a song for Heather. Shawty, oh my angel. You're my darling (laughs) angel. (laughs) Mostly so I don't have to, like... (laughs) Do 20 years of (laughs) research (laughs) to catch up on my Norse and Scandinavian and Mongolian history. What's hilarious here is that you would actually act like you do research. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, I'm here for fun. (laughs) I know, Heather in here is like, well... (laughs) <laughs> this this caught my eye. <laughs> well, I couldn't find anything here, but I got to thinking about the uh, allusions to Mongolian culture, and I'm like, what? <laughs> when did that happen? <laughs> oh, yeah, Volsung. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, she good. She's good. I, I'm bowing down to you right now. You just can't see me. <laughs> All right, before we move on to our next segment, which is the legacy of these characters. I've got something special for you here today. Listen up, howlers. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break for a message from one of our sponsors. So, Ben, you read uh, Hank Green's first book, right? What's that called? Yes. Hank Green's first book was an absolutely remarkable thing. It was released in 2018. The story of a young woman thrown into and then growing her fame as the world suddenly has to deal with massive changes in the form of contagious dreams and mysterious 10-foot-tall robots that have appeared in every major city. Robots! 
Cats. They're called Carls. It's pretty cool. Carls? Yep. The Associated Press said it was a thrilling journey that takes a hard look at the power of fame and our willingness to separate a person from the brand. Book reported said it was perhaps as honest a look as we will ever get into the phenomenon of cyber fame. I want to be cyber famous. Mm Mm-hmm. So the San Francisco Chronicle said, sparkling with mystery, humor, and the uncanny. This is a fun read, but beneath its effervescent tone, more complex themes are at play. So you can read an absolutely remarkable thing now on paperback, at your library, or it has an audiobook. The sequel and conclusion of the story, A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor, is out to sparkling reviews and will be out July 7th. I'm excited about this one. So Hank wanted his publisher to sponsor a ton of small podcasts, but they said that was too weird. So instead, Hank took 5% of his advance from the book and did it himself. Which is why we're here. (laughs) We are a small podcast. Library Journal's starred reviews said, Throughout this adventurous, witty, and compelling novel, Green delivers sharp social commentary on the power of social media and both the benefits and horrendous consequences that follow when we give too much of ourselves to technology. The book is out July 7th in physical, audio, and ebook, wherever you get books. So if you just go to hankgreen.com, that's H-A-N-K-G-R-E-E-N.com, uh, that will get you where you need to go, and I am about done with what I'm reading, so I'm super excited to start with the first one, An Absolutely Remarkable Thing, and then follow up with, soon, A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor. Uh, yes, and we'll have that hankgreen.com link in our episode description, so if you want to go there, check that out. I've read the first book, like I said, it's really good. I think I talked about it on one of our What Are We Into's. It was, yeah, you actually already recommended yeah. it. Pro bono. welcome back howlers let's talk about the legacy of sefi and ragnar the motivation strengths weaknesses struggles how how they change how how they affected characters how how are they affected in the relationships (laughs) (laughs) i feel like rick and morty (laughs) oh jeez oh jeez rick (laughs) let's start with sefi let's start with sefi i'll do Um, it go ahead (laughs) Because uh, everyone on Instagram is throwing like pure hate at Sefi. Lots of shade. But I feel like we're forgetting how much she gave to the Rising. And besides becoming a child kidnapper, <laughs> like <laughs> I feel like she did pretty good. I don't know. She don't did know. better than most in terms of like making moral choices. That's the <laughs> argument we're going to have today. Okay. So history. Sefi started the series as the Princess of the Valkyrie and her an heir apparent to her mother. She took a vow of silence and was silent for like 20 years, which I could never do. <laughs> <laughs> Until her brother showed back up and Darrow and Mustang revealed her mother's duplicity all along and she was pissed. She killed her mom, took up uh, Ragnar's mission to free her people. Early on, there were signs of where her path led. Remember... Darrow mentioning how much she watched the hollows and learned about the history of the solar system. Her eyes were opened and the seeds of change were already taking root. Both her regular eyes and her tattooed eyes were open. Every time she blinked. Right. Um, Yeah. So I think that's uh, what we said there kind of at the end about her uh, just kind of being really into the history of the solar system and the golds and how they set up this whole society in the first place. You could see the seeds were already there in Morningstar for what happens later on. And right. Her wanting her people to basically get their reparations for the genocide and enslavement and indoctrination mm-hmm. of her whole tribe. Yep. Like she's like, we need our own continent guys. Yep. Let's go. And it also kind of just shows that she's a really thoughtful character um, she's going to, you know, soak up a lot of this information and you're not necessarily going to know what Sefi is thinking, uh, but you know that the gears are turning behind those two sets of eyes and she's always kind of scheming her own uh, way throughout these books. So it's, it's always interesting to see that. And then she has like a huge change. Obviously, she's a leader of the rising and then she becomes basically the leader of her people. She she's the leader of the pack. Yep. Uh, she doesn't want to just lead them to prosperity, 
within the Rising, she wants to, you know, lead them to independence. They were already on their way to becoming an independent nation state under her guidance, quote unquote, the All Tribe. This led her and the Obsidians away from the Rising, which left her friends in the lurch. And this is why I think people are so pissed at her. Because, like, just think about if the Obsidians vote or at least, like, indicate which way they're going to go during Daryl's kind of, like, court-martial situation and if we could count on the obsidians here to vote for aid for mercury you can just imagine what mustang would have been able to do if she could have you know kept the obsidian strength behind her but once they lose that obsidian strength they just become extremely vulnerable the republic does so they just don't have the fighters they don't have the manpower to to fight the goals of the society Sefi was left with the decision to determine like what's more important here. She saw this other path, and in this other path, she sees Ragnar's dream, ultimate dream being realized. Um, that is obviously an extremely heavy responsibility. Um, she did everything she could to fulfill it, but ultimately failed because she was you know, outmaneuvered by the Fear Knight and Xenophon. But I don't know if we can really blame her for those decisions that she makes. She's trying to do the best thing that she can for her people. It's frustrating because she's put in a position where she kind of has to choose between her friends and people that she's fought with for 10 years or the entire direction of her people. You know, she sees something within the Republic still, and she still feels like the Obsidians are being used. Which they are. And they're not fully free she also you know like ben was saying the change is driven by the weight of responsibility Mm -hmm. it's this weight of responsibility and i think the compounding factor of just the years of war and all the death that she's seen and then it's kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back the iron rain over mercury the golds specifically targeted obsidians in that iron rain because they already knew that this was kind of fracturing they see that strength within the republic is you know their obsidian fighters and so if they're able to fracture that relationship obviously it makes the entire republic much weaker also makes the obsidians weaker and more vulnerable at the same time it's a good move on their part but it's tough because you can see why Sefi did what she did but did she make the right decision? It's hard to say. She did some weird stuff. Yeah. So Sefi's impact, obviously, is huge, um, especially involving all the obsidians. The Rising would never have been able to stand up against the golds without the obsidians. They stood up to the society for 10 years with Sefi leading the obsidians, le- leading the Valkyrie. Also, beyond the obsidians, all the these amazing war gods on the rising side also helped, you know, encourage and spur the low colors. Mm -hmm. They're like, we don't need goals. We got these giants. Right. So not surprisingly, the Republic army pretty much collapses when she takes that strength away. Also, Darrow's gone and Wolfgar dies and, you Mm -hmm. know, it all kind of goes to shit all at once. Sefi had big dreams. She saw a path for her people that not a lot of other colors were, you know, on board with or fighting for. It was a life she dreamt for her people that's away from the fighting, away from the sacrifice, and a life of peace on their own continent. She was a visionary, and it takes tremendous will to make an attempt at changing generations of learned behavior and of a whole religion and belief system, mm-hmm. and it's ingrained you know, into their entire lives. And their DNA, pretty much. Their DNA, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and they're basically being farmed, we yep. learn. Her decisions as a leader of the Obsidians really fuck over the whole rising, but can you really blame her for not wanting all her people to be, like, the front line the entire time? Right. I think that the thing with Sefi is I don't really think you can blame her for what she did as far as trying to create obsidian independence. Like, that seems to me like a goal that she had earned um, and something that she deserved to try and do. 
I think where you can get upset with her maybe is a little bit with her timing. Or like the kidnapping. Right. And just the secrecy of the entire situation too. Yeah, yeah. Didn't help. It's hard to say though because at the same time, a lot of that politicking and that takes place in like behind closed doors and you do have to do some of that stuff in secret, especially with what they were doing going to uh, Olympia and taking over a continent, they had to do a lot of that secretly or else it wasn't going to work. The thing that we kind of learn out during Dark Ages, Mustang, because she's smart and amazing, knows exactly what Sefi is trying to do and is kind of letting her do it because she sees that this could be beneficial and ultimately, hey, we can let the Obsidians do their own thing and then create an alliance with them to hopefully bite the society at the end of the day because they're not going to be able to do it alone. We're not going to be able to do it alone. There obviously are some concessions that need to be made because the obsidians were really carrying a lot of the water for the Republic. Yes. The water. The water boys. Mm. Girls. Water <laughs> girls. <laughs> so let's move on to Ragnar. He yes. who speaks in bold. He who speaks in bold. Do so we really even need to like... Yes. He grew I up mean, on the ice. Um, he was taken away. He was a gladiator for the Ash Lord and then became a stained. And he was being delivered to... The Julies, I believe, Victor's mom, as like a present. From the Ass Lord. From the Ass Lord, yes. I mean, Ash Lord. And that's why uh, he was on the Vanguard in the first place. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he's just being sold around. <laughs> that's nice. So, obviously, Ragnar goes through probably one of the biggest, from zero to 100, changes here. He goes from fully believing in gods and magic and believing that his stained service and enslavement is like necessary to, for his people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the chains are broken for him. The veil is lifted very similar to Darrow Mm -hmm. and he is changed in turn. And then, um, after Darrow, gaining Ragnar's trust and vice versa, Darrow gives him his freedom and is like, do whatever you want, bro. And everyone else is like, what if he kills all of us? <laughs> and his <laughs> his personal change, Ragnar's personal change, is really kind of what brings Darrow and Mustang together ultimately because it allows Mustang to see that Darrow's revolution can work. Ragnar is the illustration of that. And if this person that she really doesn't even see as a person or she's early like, on, he, like, how are you going to get the obsidians on our side? Yeah. I mean, this is just the culture. They don't really see obsidians as like human beings. Really. It's more of like they're war gods. Yeah. <laughs> they're kind of like animals. Ragnar is able to, get these golds to recognize the humanity within his race and and his intelligence and empathy he he shows that he's so much more than just some warrior or just some gladiator to be used in a pit Um, he's a fully realized human being i am a man it's such a great moment and i just love that speech from him and that's why his change is just like that's like the illustration of the entire book. I, I, I just love it. Yeah, it's it's very similar to Darrow's story. And I also think um, that, speaking, and this kind of goes into his impact mm-hmm. now, what Ben was saying too. He's a true hero to everyone, to all the rising. He's obviously the biggest impact on the Obsidians. He's a hero to them and a leader. And his personal transformation led them all to take the same path. And then he was and is a huge model for Darrow and for Severo and for their whole brotherhood. Yep. Like he he was kind of the glue that kept Darrow and Severo together in those hard times, especially when Darrow took a sabbatical, you know, (laughs) and left Severo alone. (laughs) That's true. He does play a big part. He holds the fort down. He's the shield of fucking Tinos. Yeah. He's the 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 big daddy to all the low reds and that live in Tinos. And, you know, he, he also kind of mitigates the 
fear that the low colors feel towards obsidians because he's the biggest of them all as a stained. Mm -hmm. And they see that he's a gentle giant who fights for them. So he mm -hmm. kind of wins the trust of the low colors for the obsidians. That's a great point. Uh, and then also like what I, um, you also mentioned that he, his transformation, you know, helped lead his people. And it was also just his words and the fact that it's his message coming to these people that they were able to trust. Like if the hero of the spires, Ragnar, is saying, hey, all the golds are full of shit. You should yeah, listen like, to Darrow. Look at me with my double razors. Right. Kylo Ren. They're not anything special. They're going to take that and they need that kind of example, that shining example to for that really to set in. Uh, otherwise, it's something where it's just like words and they're not going to believe it. So when it comes from somebody with that much credibility, it makes that message and strength have that uh, that much more impact. Fucking hear Glow Ragnar, guys. Right. Let's hear them up. So where do they go from here? What are our predictions for the future? <laughs> they're both dead, but we can talk about somebody else here. Let's talk about Fa. <laughs> You are not the father. I hope. <laughs> what do you think? 700 years of war. <laughs> so obviously, um, there's two things that we can talk about here for the future. Volga and Fa. So do you think Volga, Volga is going to become maybe the hero that Ragnar once was? I hope so, because she cute. <laughs> also, I don't know why the Obsidians are so obsessed with lineage. You know what I mean? Like, what about the Obsidian Valkyrie bitches who have been, like, also running the show with <laughs> Sefi, you know? I think that's just the way they're set up. I mean, they're, unless yeah. they all got blood eagled as well. Right. A lot of them died. <laughs> yeah, I think they're mostly dead. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like... They're so concerned with lineage. Anyways, but I'm thinking she will become the leader because Fa will bring her in and kind of set her up in a position to be the leader. Right. I think they're obsessed with lineage just because that's kind of their culture. It's like a lot of it's legends and that's how they're made up. I know it's a lot of that's being broken because of the rising, but still that's within them to kind of respect that and... Um, the ghosts of the past and all that type of thing. So The ghosts of Blood Eagle Pass. <laughs> so yeah, I think that Volga is going to be the key to exposing Fa. Oh, as yeah. Or Lyria. Yeah, Volga and Lyria together. Lyria's going to come in and figment them. That would just be great if all we had like, this little red and this little obsidian take down... This giant... Yeah. <laughs> Fucking monster. <laughs> I, I keep thinking, I need to rewatch The Never Ending Story because I keep thinking, of, when I say giant, I think of The Rock and he's like, these big, strong hands. <laughs> they slip through my fingers. I kind of think of Fa like as he's dying, mm -hmm. like in that moment. <laughs> the big rock guy, I don't even know his name. You I guys, I haven't seen that movie in so long. I bet long. a bunch of you are too young to even have seen yeah, that movie. Yeah, everybody's probably. It's like, pretty fucking weird watching it as an adult. What but what the fuck is Aaron talking acid about? Acid trip. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the movie is. Okay, let's do our prime five. This is our top five favorite moments from each character. We did two lists, two prime five lists this time around. Equals ten. So Sefi's, uh, her prime five is. Obviously, the initial appearance, her flying in, you see the fear on Aja's face and she runs like the little bitch that she is because <laughs> she knows who's coming. You see the shadow swoop and they're like, <gasps> it's so silent. And you hear the rustling of feathers. Right. And Ragnar goes like, Sefi. And Daryl's like, no, it's me. <laughs> he's like, no, he's Sefi. Like, no, you're about to <laughs> meet my, my sister. And then, oh, shit. That's a... Giant it's lady on a griffin. It, uh, <laughs> it's a great entrance. Very cinematic. Can't wait to see it in the TV show <laughs> that was hinted at in uh, Pierce's recent Q&A. 
Mm-hmm. Let's see what happens. So, Prime 5 number 2, what's up? We have a couple moments of, uh, or well, one moment of Sefi being very cute and funny, which is when she had her volume output speaker on just like way too loud. On her helmet? Yeah. And everyone's just like, Jesus Christ. Like, Sefi, volume! <laughs> it, which reminds me painfully of all of these fucking Skype and Zoom calls at work. <laughs> and today, someone's just talking in the background and you hear him go yeah i mean like after this i gotta go get a cigarette <laughs> and you're like dude mute your fucking mic anyways that was that was Sefi in that moment it's like hit the mute button lady and then also i just really enjoyed her when she was on the god's bread and she also offered the god's bread to to daryl and he's like no <laughs> I'd like to feel the pain of my entrails coming out. I don't want to be like, ooh. Just the <laughs> tummy I- juices. The idea of taking like you know magic mushrooms before going into an intense war situation yeah, is very I'd, metal to me. I'd get confused. That's pretty hardcore. Next up, um, obviously, the axe to Aaliyah's head, mm. and then just. Dragging it over to the throne, like what? And then she Who just else? like slinks up on the throne, yeah, throws her, the crown on her, like knees up. <laughs> it's super badass. It's very much like um, Khaleesi burning all those motherfuckers. It's just like, who's guess who's here? <laughs> yeah. It's me. Yeah, that is my f- single favorite Suffy moment. I think. Oh yeah, is when she finally talks. Check that, mom. She finally says, yeah, she's like, what's up, liar? And then takes the throne and then just looks at everybody and just is like, yep, I'm the queen now. That just happened. (laughs) And they're like, well, she did kill her. So (laughs) she was next in line anyway. You know, she was going to take over always. Our next item on the prime five list is just her leadership and her vision for the future. I think one of the coolest moments of Dark Age is when she has that whole conversation with Ephraim and she takes him through Eagle's Rest and shows him her whole plan for the Obsidians and um, it's at that moment you realize holy shit like Sefi's really been planning this shit out and she actually has a real idea of what she wants and And this very clear vision for the Obsidians in the future. She's employed maybe the wrong people at times but uh, she has a whole team of not just Obsidians, but Xenophon, the white, and mm-hmm. she has greens and Yeah, blues. she has all these different lo- uh, lower colors teaching Obsidians how to do, how to pilot, how to make stuff. Right. So uh, she's really trying to learn all the cultures and all the skills that the other low colors have right. in order to strengthen all of the Obsidians. Right. It's this like really forward-thinking idea. And it's actually like really admirable uh, uh, idea from her, I think. And one that, you know, you really wish just could be realized. It's kind of sad when that all falls apart. But well, maybe the end of Dark Age. We'll see obsidians, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Volga will open her zoo. Yeah. <laughs> and all the obsidian families come in and you're like, oh, they did it. <laughs> Maybe it'll happen. And then last up for Sefi, Prime 5 isn't really about Sefi. It's about God Eater. <laughs> Best pet ever. Most badass pet. Bar none, hands down. Hands down, the best animal that we have met. Also R.I.P. God Eater. R.I.P. God Eater. Um, but, you know... Having a, a griffin that not only you can ride, but who will also on its own go kill people for you. Pretty sweet. I just love how she has God Eater and then she also, you know, has Valdir, but Valdir is not allowed to ride God Eater. Yeah, just know your place, bitch. <laughs> it's just hilarious. <laughs> I like the way the obsidians <laughs> have set up their culture. <laughs> All right, guess who's up next? All right, it's time for Ragnar's Prime 5. We This is like a prime uh, thousand, yeah, infinity prime. That's true. Because like everything, everything is prime. 
I wish we could just name off every single moment that he appears. And if you if you've been watching our Instagram stories, um, there's been a good recap. But uh, of course, when we meet Ragnar, and he says, "Are you a god?" <laughs> and then when he comes through, cuts through with a razor through the door, and Darrow and several are like, "Fuck! Fuck! 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 Fuck!" And that he's whole like, situation offering stains is just ridiculous. yeah. And Darrow's like, "Okay, yeah, cool, man. <laughs> sure." He's like a tornado through the hallway, and then he like grabs that gold that like stuck him with a razor and just like pulls him forward. Yeah. And it's it's pretty sick. The door is melting and it's just what an entrance. Probably the best one. Oh, for sure. Possibly. Okay. And then the next thing on the prime five list is um, I love the like the legend of Ragnar stuff that we get in Iron Gold. You know, the Chuck Norris memes. We get those with Ragnar instead. Yes. So like when they're getting ready to assault the Ash Lord's fortress and stuff, Clown says, how can you even breathe with your nose so far up Reaper's ass? And Alexander says, I hold my my breath. Uh, Rona says, no one can hold their breath that bloody damn long. Uh, Severo then says, Ragnar could. And then we get this whole list of just like, well, Ragnar could lift a mountain with his gory damn pinky and drink an ocean without needing to piss a drop. So powerful was his bladder. What's the quickest way to a peerless Scarred's heart? Ragnar's fist. Severo then says, unlike mortal, unlike mortal men, Ragnar didn't sleep. He merely waited. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. He would like, remember Darrow's stateroom? Yes. Uh, when he first was with him, he would like wait outside and wouldn't let anyone in. Yeah, and he like sleeps with his eyes open. Yeah, and Darrow's looking at him like, <laughs> are you, hey man. <laughs> Are you asleep? I love the part when he's like walking down the hallway and Ragnar's like following him. Like, uh huh. <laughs> he can't even a hear far him. Back and he's like, Whoa, man. Just Whoa. like, <laughs> it's okay. Just go to bed or like something. Like, creepy giant shadow. <laughs> and this was when like they didn't know him very well. Yeah. You're freaking me out, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe lay off the protection here. Man, I love Ragnar. Obviously, especially on the post when we ask people, a lot of people's favorite moments of Ragnar is when he steals Severo's peanut bar (laughs) and throws him, and then Severo catches up, and he's like, you are my candy. (laughs) I'm a terrorist warlord. You can't just throw me. (laughs) And then also he gets his new teeth. Mm -hmm. He's got the the great pearly whites. And he's smiling. And then he's just reading, him off. reading every sign to Darrow as he's like rolling him down the hallway in the wheelchair. So great. Just so cute. God, he's cute. My my grandma's boyfriend, we would be driving down I-70 <laughs> and he'd read all the mile marker signs just to prove to me that he could still see. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I can read them too, Paul. <laughs> him and Ragnar would get along great. It's a lot of mile markers. <laughs> I love it. Next up, uh... Ragnar in the cave with Darrow and Mustang. This is like a huge moment that really sways Mustang, who Mm. is like so clutch, especially after Darrow's like willing to risk the rising on telling her. Mm -hmm. So he tells her, obviously, and she's like, what the hell, man? Like, what about this guy? Mm-hmm. And she's ready to kill Darrow. And um, if Ragnar doesn't like stand down, basically, and then Ragnar drops his weapon and kneels next to Darrow, basically showing her like, I believe in this enough for you to shoot me right now. Like, I I would rather have um, the golds on our side so that we can win than to kill you right now and and lose that. Darrow really fucks up that whole situation, and Ragnar is kind of the thing that saves it. Yes, it's like one of the most powerful moments in the story, and I just love that quote that kind of goes along with that when he says to Darrow, a man thinks he can fly, but he is afraid to jump. A poor friend pushes him from behind. A good friend jumps with. And that's how he showed that. Yep. He's like, sup, Mustang. 
You could kneel down here with us. <laughs> okay, so our last item on the Prime 5 list is just all of the chapters on the ice. Yes, this is incredibly, incredibly sad, but it's also just extremely cool seeing Ragnar in his element and just being fully realized in this moment. And also, I mean, this is such an emotional journey, these just few chapters here. Um, it's so exciting seeing him, you know, take down Aja and Cassius and their spaceship shooting like a bazooka out the back of their uh, spaceship that's falling out of space. And, and then they're hunting them through the ice. And he finally has that great speech where he gets to confront Aja. And he, you know, like he wants this so bad. There's so much personal history there between um, the Grimace family and Ragnar at this moment. And I just love what he says to her. It's, this is more to like distract her so that Holiday can take the shot and miss on purpose. <laughs> but <laughs> I knew I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> but he says, your father bought me, Aja, shamed me, made me his devil, a thing. The child inside fled. The hope vanished. I was Ragnar no more. He touches his own chest. But I am Ragnar today, tomorrow, forevermore. I am a son of the Spires, brother of Sepi the Quiet, brother of Darrow of Lycos and Severo Abarca. I am the shield of Tinos. I follow my heart, and when yours beats no more, foul night, I will pull it from your chest and feed it to the griffin of the... And then the shots go off. Oh. So he gets interrupted at what that point. What was he going to say? Well, Cassius being, because he's smart and like on to shit, you know, he's like, oh, this is probably a trap. And so he's looking around. He figures out what's going on. Come on, Cassius, whose side are you on? <laughs> but it's great. And it just sucks that he has to go down against Aja. Um, you know, never fight a river, never fight Aja. So uh, we learned that lesson. But I also want to read just his last speech because it's so fucking beautiful. Don't read the whole thing. I'm going to fucking cry. No, just the end when he is you know, about to pass away or whatever. And he says, I will die with my friends. I will give Eel your love. I will make a house for you in the veil of your fathers. I will be beside my own. Join me there when you die. But I am no builder, so take your time. We will wait. And then he tells Sefi to live for more. Break the chains. Pretty awesome. I just love that fucking. That's so great. I'm. I am no builder, so take your time. We will wait. So sweet. So he and Eo are hanging out. <laughs> I hope they're just having the best time and together. Such a man of great depth that even his dying breath, he's saying, like to Darrow to give him peace. Like I'm going to the veil. Like yeah. he's speaking to Darrow's mm -hmm. language of of what he knows will give Darrow peace because right. the obsidians don't believe in the veil. Yeah, he's doing two things there. He's comforting Darrow, and then with his next dying breath, he's showing Sefi the importance of the rising and that um, it's not about her taking vengeance or him dying a warrior. It's about living for more, freeing their people, and it's about an ultimate goal, not just what's right in front of you right now. And so Sefi really takes that to heart. Obviously, that has a huge effect on her and really influences the decision she makes over the next 10 years. I just wish that Ragnar could have lived. Don't I don't really get it, Pierce, why you would break my heart. <laughs> 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 this was the hardest one. All right. Primer Pixie. Did Ragnar and Sefi survive the Hallerpod? passage of our in-depth scrutiny and judgment let's make a case for and against all right let's start with the case for Sefi. she chose to fight with the rising took vengeance against her mother she brings the obsidians together and the rising is not successful without that obsidian strength she fought for 10 years against the society and saw many of her people sacrificed to the cause the very people she is responsible for saving and then she had the vision and will to create independence for those people and take them into what was looking like a new era but was ultimately ended prematurely. All right, case against. Let's read this email from one of our howlers, Nick Brindelow. 
So, if you recall, Nick is our very own British howler who called in with his uh, beautiful impression of Cassius Arbolona. Mm-hmm. God. God. <laughs> oh. oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly <laughs> what Nick sounded like. <laughs> and I just want to say here, Nick, why did you send an email when you could have called in and we could have listened to your Cassius voice now he's got to call in and read this email back in the cassius hey i just seriously nick (laughs) if you don't call in for the cassius episode which is forthcoming i'm gonna be pissed i'm gonna fly across the ocean once it opens up (laughs) we're not allowed to go to europe (laughs) and i'll wear my mask and kick your ass all right so nick says in red rising darrow says pixies have no self-control they take in all the treats of power, but do piss all to merit them. He says, while I don't think this is a fair comparison to Sefi, it does have to be said that she gains a good proportion of her power as a result of others. Initially, she is the leader of the Valkyrie due to her mother. After that, her alliance with Darrow and their resulting victory at the Battle of Ilium gains her the recognition to unite the tribes. Afterward, the legend of Ragnar helps to solidify her role. I think another more accurate critique of Sefi comes from Greek. Pierce references the classics heavily. In Greek tragedies, there is a concept called harmatia. Harmasha. Harmatia? Harmatia. <laughs> I speak Greece. Greece? <laughs> so tired. Called harmatia. Hermasha, the flaw in a character's personality that leads to their deaths. Mm. Hey, Sefi. In Sefi's case, I wonder if her Hermasha is an excess of loyalty. Interesting. I like this. She waited years before rising up against her mother, even when Ragnar sent messengers to the ice. It is implied that she suspected her mother knew something beyond the myths of her people. Just look at how quickly she murders Aaliyah and then spits on the body, all without asking for an explanation, for an explanation. Later on, as queen herself, she endures the deaths of thousands of obsidian braves for the rising, presumably for over a decade, all out of loyalty for Darrow. At the end, she assumes her jarls will protect her when Fa arrives. This loyalty also makes her easy prey to people like Xenophon and her refusal to choose another concert when she becomes ill causes many of the problems that happen later. Indeed, this could be why she actively seeks out someone as duplicitous as Ephraim, is it? Is Pierce meaning to make a sly joke when he repeatedly reminds us that she has two sets of eyes with her eyelids and yet can't see what's right in front of her. Mm. I wouldn't bet money on these conclusions, but they strike me as interesting areas to discuss. I'll make a bet. <laughs> Let's go. She's, uh, Nick says, a good woman in a bad world destroyed by the very thing she tried to build. So that was the case against Sefi, which was actually pretty considerate of her the whole time. My case against Sefi is, she kidnapped children? Not great. That was my only point. She didn't really kidnap them, though. She is holding them hostage? Kinda, yeah, just holding them as wards. But also, like, training them and treating them well. I mean, I don't know. Ish, yeah. It'd but also kind of holding them hostage, It yeah. sounds like a little vacay. <laughs> yeah. It's not great. It's not like... You know, if you found my children, I would want you to return them to me immediately. That's how I would. But feel only about if it. I gave you all the ships and army <laughs> that you need. Like I agree <laughs> completely. <laughs> all right. So, Aaron, what is your judgment, Prime or Pixie? Okay, I, I, I'm sorry, everyone on the internet, <laughs> but I'm gonna go Prime because I feel like her legacy. Um, will be a good one, even though in the end she made some bad decisions. I think overall her life outweighs all the good that she did for the rising and for her people outweighs those last few moments of weakness. So you're saying prime? Uh, prime. 
I really, really want to say Sefi's a pixie because I think it would just be more fun. But I have such a hard time making that argument. Because I, think, I just made such really good points. Yeah, I think that for the most part, Sefi is pretty stand up. I, I don't agree with all her decisions. And I think she could have had a lot better timing with her whole situation. Um, I would rather see, not see her abandon her friends. Well, you know what? Fuck it. She's a pixie. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we came in with a s- <laughs> quick judgment at the end there. Ben says pixie. All right. Let's move on to Ragnar. What's the case for Ragnar? Uh, what do you think? He's fucking Ragnar. Did someone come here <laughs> to Kansas and tell me to my face that Ragnar is a pixie, and you'll see who's a pixie when you shit your pants. Prime. Case closed. Case closed. He's prime. Do you know why? Here, Glaw, fucking Ragnar. <laughs> what do you think? Are you a god? All right. You know what it's time for? What are we into this week? Aaron, what are you into this week? I'm into a survival reality TV show <laughs> called Alone on Netflix. And I've actually been like staying up really late every night watching it because it's so good. And then I've been having dreams that like bears are going <laughs> to attack me. How long do you think that you can survive in the wilderness alone? <laughs> I'm a pixie. <laughs> We've established this. <laughs> but like, I mean, some of these people are going home because they miss their family. I'd be going home because I would literally starve to death. Like, <laughs> you know, like my trouble is the actual survival part, like physical. I couldn't even build the shelter. To, you know, they're they're like construction yeah. specialists. I know they build like apartments out there. <laughs> yeah, they're building little like condos with trees and it's pretty pine, impressive. pine leaves. Uh, it's really great. There are how many seasons? There's only one season on Netflix, but there's six seasons somewhere it's, else. It's from the History Channel, mm-hmm. and there's six seasons total, but there's only the one on Netflix. Um, and it's awesome. You should watch it, and you might learn <laughs> some survival skills. <laughs> yeah. Ben, what are you into this week? I'm into a book called Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. Uh, so this was one of the more thrilling books that I've read in a long time. It was really good. Had a great concept. It's like a parallel worlds concept going on where this dude is kind of traveling through parallel dimensions of his life. Wow. He basically gets like the premise of the book is he gets kidnapped out of his dimension by a version of himself and sent into another dimension. And then he has to like fight his way back to his dimension and um it You've gets been really doing cool a lot of hot tub time machine books here <laughs> <laughs> it's not time travel once again <laughs> once again <laughs> teleportation is not time travel <laughs> come on you guys this also isn't teleportation not teleportation or time travel where are we going here this with is this just parallel dimensions anyway oh like um, the spider verse yes like spider verse that's a great movie. There you go. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's it's got a really uh, it's a really exciting book. Like it was a real page turner. Uh, it's got some really interesting kind of twists and turns, especially at the end. I will say I was not like super happy about the way it ended, but it didn't even matter because the whole concept of the book was so cool. So check that one out. It's a really quick, good read. Also a good audiobook if you want one. Uh, yeah, audiobooks are the shit. Dark Matter by Blake Crouch and Alone on Netflix. Aaron, what's coming up next week on HowlerPod? <laughs> Did you forget the name of our podcast? <laughs> on Alone. That was a dramatic pause. Drumroll. It's Roke. Wow. That's going to be an action-packed episode. It's going to be contentious but not between us. <laughs> hey, all you rogue sympathizers, let's come out of the closet. Let's creep on out from your basements and tell us <laughs> why you like rogue. Yeah, because you know Aaron and I will be bashing rogue and the we entire will entire podcast. We will talk shit on you, <laughs> but you should tell us anyways. <laughs> but yes, we um, would love to have you know a robust participation in this episode so if you have something to say about roke you have some thoughts please feel free to share them call in email us howlerpod at gmail.com 
you'll hear yourself on the podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Etsy. Email us, howlerpod at gmail.com. Visit us at howlerpod.com. And uh, like we said, call in. Leave a voicemail, 1-800-516-1540. And tell us about Roke. What, what are your thoughts, good or bad? You can also call in if you think he sucks. We'll play that voicemail, too. Uh, we'll, we'll play that one louder. <laughs> so you can find links to all of this and more at howlerpod.com tell a friend about the podcast spread the word give them a book give them this book any book books are great (laughs) (laughs) rate and review us five stars only if you don't give us five stars only i will have a razor at your throat and i'll say yield to me as a man yields (laughs) to another man and you'll say, never. And then I'll say, then become dirt. And I'll push the blade home. <laughs> Five stars only. All right. Thank you to Heather, our wise and wonderful researcher, for all her hard work. My angel. Researching these characters and their historical connections. And thank you, Howlers. Omnis Vera Lupus. Oh. Oh.